Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kristen. What a wonderful meditation that our God, who is always only good, makes no mistakes. And we rejoice in his goodness. We rejoice in his sovereignty. Thank you to those of you who have filled out sermon forms, suggestion cards. If you look at your bulletin, you'll find a QR code where you can scan that on your phone and then fill out a suggestion card for sermon series topics on Sunday nights. So I'm addressing one of the first ones that we received, and it was worded something like this. So by the way, if you still want to get those in on the QR code, or if you say, I don't do all that newfangled QR code stuff, you can just call into the office with your suggestions or whatever, or write it on a card and get it to one of the ushers, and they'll get it to us. Uh, if you have something that you would like to hear preached on, uh, please uh, put that, get us that suggestion one way or the other. But the very first, one of the first ones I saw, it really caught my eye was, uh, what does it mean to have a meek and quiet spirit when you're a naturally outgoing person? And so we're going to look at that tonight. This is a quote actually from 1 Peter 3 and verse 4. So our text tonight will be 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 4. We'll look at the context of verses 1 and 2, and we're going to actually focus on verses 3 and 4. So I want to focus on some of these things in, in verses 3 and 4 tonight as a way of an emphasis on um, what God expects of us and really what is, what is meekness and, and what does it mean to have a quiet spirit, a meek and quiet spirit. Because God says that these are of great price. We're going to look at that tonight. Look with me, if you've turned there, to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. We'll begin in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. Uh, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. That word conversation, of course, we understand means lifestyle, means your day-to-day demeanor. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, the context that's set in verses 1 and 2 is, uh, is, is written to saved wives, believing wives, ladies who are born again, who in some cases have unbelieving husbands. And, and, and Peter's really addressing this here in these first couple of verses. Um, she can still, because one of the things I think we don't understand in our culture was back in Bible times, a woman, when she married a man, was expected to adopt his gods as her own. They didn't always worship all the same gods. There were a, a plethora of gods and there were even family gods, household gods, if you can imagine that. Um, and so that, they would have been traditionally worshipped. And so it, the idea was when a woman married a man, then she, in submitting to his authority, would worship the same gods that he would worship. And here's a believing wife with an unbelieving husband, and, and certainly she cannot be worshipping these false gods. She must worship the one true God. So how does she share the gospel with her husband, and how does she still show him that respect? And, and how does she win him? How can her life make a gospel difference to him? Okay. And so here it is, it's by, she can show, uh, still show respect to her husband by submitting to him as long as his wishes don't countermand God's wishes, okay? And by living a holy, that is a morally pure, that word chaste is morally pure, a holy lifestyle, which is covered with, uh, which is uh, coupled with a reverent attitude towards God and her husband. But God's expectations for the wife with a believing husband would still be the same as we find in the context of this passage. 
But I suggest to you that as uh, that since hidden or inner person is where God expects our adornment to be prioritized, this would apply to men as well as to women, married as well as unmarried ladies. So we're going to look at this tonight. Now, understand in verse three that God is not forbidding women from having uh, their hair done or wearing jewelry any more than he's forbidding them to wear apparel. Okay, so uh, to be to be fair in the context, um, he is not saying don't ever wear jewelry and don't ever do your hair. Okay, he's not saying that. He's saying don't let that be the adornment. That um, where's me put it this way: attention must be drawn to the inner person and not to the outward appearance. Now, God through Peter, though he's not forbidding these things, I want you to see something. Here, if you look with me in verse 3, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair, a wearing of gold, putting out of apparel, but of the hidden man of the heart. Okay? So, when the word adorning here is the Greek word cosmos. What does that mean? It means, well, it's where we get the English word cosmetics, but it means orderly arrangement. Okay? And so, cosmetic, and this is interesting, uh, so this idea of, of orderly arrangement and, and really even cosmos is, is also translated creation. When we stop to realize that we are God's creation, when God created all things in his creation, for whom did he create them? Himself. And for whose glory? Himself. And even creation is given as general revelation to draw men to the one true God. Therefore, as a Christian, it is antithetical in my practice if my outward adorning and the emphasis is on the outward appearance and not on the inner man. Now, guys, hopefully uh, you're not wearing makeup, all right? Unless because you had some sort of a medical thing, you put, you know, makeup or something over a scar or something like that. But guys, just because we don't wear cosmetics doesn't mean that we don't put a lot sometimes of attention on emphasis on outward appearance, whether it's hair or whether it is... Uh, the custom uh, clothing or different things like that or working out several hours a day so we can get that perfect, you know, dad bod kind of a thing and uh, so, that we can, uh, so that we can impress people with our appearance, right? Um, oh man, are you cut? You know, that kind of a thing. And, and while we should be good stewards of our body and I think it's right to exercise and I do believe also that it is right for a Christian to have orderly arrangement of their appearance, okay? Being a slob can detract as much attention and distract from the glory of God and be as poor a testimony as somebody who overemphasizes the outward and they're either immodest in their dress or they're superfluous in, their, in their, uh, the way that they attire themselves or the way that they would uh, have such a heavy emphasis on makeup and that sort of a thing. All right, so God wants us to do things decently in order. He doesn't want us to be slovenly and careless with our appearance. That's not what is being preached here. But the idea is that attention ought to be drawn and that would ought to, because you've heard, oh, that person, they are so attractive. The attractiveness for a Christian ought to be the inner man. Okay. But I found this interesting. You know how much U.S. consumers, just in the United States, this is not the world, just in the United States last year, do you know how much was spent on cosmetics? 89.7 billion, with a B, dollars was spent on cosmetics last year. That is an average, Americans average $1,754 a year on beauty products. Americans spent $11.8 billion, billion again with a B, on 
aesthetic procedures, plastic surgery, last year. And get this, just Botox injections, Americans spent $4.4 billion, with a B, dollars just last year. Do you think that the emphasis is on the wrong syllable? <laughs> now, that's in the unsaved world for the most part, and I'm sure there are some believers that, that, that do that too. And again, every one of us are going to stand and give an account of, our, of ourselves to God, all right? So, and God knows the heart, and that, but that's where our emphasis, that's where the beauty needs to come from, and we're getting towards some other things. The hidden man of the heart, when supernaturally transformed by the grace of God, is a timeless beauty. As I was meditating on it, I, I wrote this, this, believe it or not, this is my original statement, I was waxing poetic here, but I was just thinking about this a little bit, and I wrote this, skin wrinkles and sags, hair turns gray or turns loose, clothes go out of style or wear out, and jewelry tarnishes. Real jewels get stolen, costume jewelry breaks or fades, earrings get easily lost. Any amens, ladies? But a Christ-like attitude that has matured into the sweetness of ripened fruit, the refreshing aroma of one whose intimate fellowship with Christ is evident, the gentle and peaceful demeanor of a humble saint is a transient beauty that shines with an eternal glow. And so what is that inner beauty? Look in verse 4. Let it be the adorning, the attractiveness, the attention. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Because the outward man perishes, and yet the inward man is renewed day by day. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So what does meek mean and what does it look like? When I just began to think and look up this word, this Greek word for meekness throughout the New Testament, I was amazed how many references there are and, and how pivotal this is. Sometimes we pass over this word meekness. And so I'm going to go through a lot of these references. I'm going to make just a brief comment to just give you a little bit of the flavor behind how the Bible applies meekness and the emphasis that God places on meekness being a, 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 a required element in the Christian's life. So, Mounts, uh, he is a, a Greek scholar, defines meekness as gentleness of mind or kindness. Strong identifies it as mild or humble. And Thayer describes it as mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. Meekness is not weakness. It is actually the opposite. Have you ever heard the description of a gentle giant? Do you know that some of the most gentle, kind people I have known are physically incredibly strong? And yet their strength is under control. Strength, power, and energy controlled and harnessed for good. Now that's my definition of meekness. Strength, power, and energy controlled and harnessed for good. So i got a question for you. Are you a nuclear power plant or nuclear bomb? One who is, has meekness as a Christian is a power plant. Listen to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What's the word blessed mean? It means happy. It means to be blessed, to be joyful because of God's blessing. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In Matthew chapter 11, these are Jesus' own words. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Hey, if our Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is meek, we're to be like Christ, should we not be meek? Aren't you glad God is meek? Aren't you glad that God's infinite power is always harnessed for good? Remember, the offertory God is always only good. And yet God is infinite in power. Even in wrath, he remembers mercy. We need to reflect the character of Christ. For my yoke is easy, Jesus says, my burden is light. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Evidence that we are walking in the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God, not grieving Him and not quenching Him is that there's going to, we're going to have a meekness. Folks, meekness does not mean emotionlessness, if that's even a word. It does not mean we are without emotion, okay? But it means that our emotions are under God's control. It means our temper is tempered by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, that means you are being controlled by the Holy Spirit in your thinking. And you're walking in the spirit. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Ephesians 6, or Ephesians 4, 2, rather. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Describing this is how we are to treat one another. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We are commanded to pursue meekness. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Now that is quite a lofty and high list of character traits is it not and included among them is meekness god honors those who are walking in the spirit who are living like the savior exemplifying meekness second timothy 2 25 this is part of ministry in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Titus 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing meekness unto all men. Part of the requirement of a pastor. James 1, 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. You say, what in the world is superfluity of naughtiness? All right? How many of you think you could probably explain that? Come on, be honest. Some of you could, right? Superfluity of naughtiness. Okay, I got a couple of hands. Superfluity of naughtiness basically is, an, is a careless, flippant attitude about sin. I can do what I want, when I want, no big deal. And, uh, you know, if the chastening hand of God starts to pursue me, I'll just pray and I'll just, 
I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll just pray and acknowledge it as sin, and, and then, then I'll escape the consequences. No, you don't. Superfluity anonymous is kind of a hardened, careless, belligerent attitude, thinking you can beat God at his system and do whatever you want. The Bible says, instead of having that attitude, a spirit of, of uh, filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, instead, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. By the word, the word save there, he's writing to believers. The word save there means to set free. You realize, Christian, that we can, uh, we can submit ourselves again into the bondage and the addiction of sin, and James is offering us hope here in James chapter 1 when he says that we can receive with meekness the engrafted word. There's a humility, there's a teachableness there. There is a, a, a coming under, reigning in and coming under the control of God's Holy Spirit where I acknowledge that what he's saying, it's the idea of I'm stop, I'm not going to fight or argue with God. I'm going to listen and I'm going to acknowledge what God says. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. It is able, again, to free you from the bondage to sin. You say it's possible for a Christian to be surrendered again in bondage unto sin? Yes. Romans chapter 6, Paul's writing to the Roman believers. And he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Guess what? That implies the possibility that you can allow sin to reign in your mortal bodies. And Paul says, by the grace of God, stop it. Don't let that happen. Moving on. James 3 and verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? How does he show that he is a spiritually wise man, a truly godly man, an authentic Christian? Let him show, James 3, 13, out of a good conversation, again, lifestyle, his works with meekness of wisdom. And then 1 Peter 3, down in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. This has to do with witnessing. And be ready always to give an answer. That's the word apologia. To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that lieth, that, that is in you with what? Meekness and fear. So I hope that you're getting an idea of what that meekness looks like. That there is a gentleness of mind, a kindness a mildness of disposition, a gentleness of spirit, strength, power, and energy controlled and harnessed for God's glory and the good of others. But what does quiet mean? And what does that look like? Because I think that sometimes when we read this and when we think about this phrase and come across it, we think of a meek and, and quiet spirit. We think as somebody who just kind of goes off in the corner like this and just kind of barely talks to anybody above a whisper and doesn't really look anybody in the eye and you're just a, a meek and, and, and quiet spirit. And they just kind of sit in the corner because they don't want any attention. That's not what the Bible's talking about at all. That, that's not a meek and a quiet spirit. And the word quiet here is not quiet. Now, you know one of, the, one of the mom proverbs that I heard growing up? God gave you two ears and one mouth because he expects you to listen twice as much as you speak. Now, that's not Bible, but I got the point of what mom was saying. <laughs> right? And the Bible does tell us in James, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But it's not talking about quiet as in not talking or always speaking with an airy kind of quiet voice. It's not what it's talking about. The word quiet, fair, gives it a one word definition, tranquil. Strong 
gives a word picture, keeping one's seat undisturbed, being still, or peaceable. So that means there is a subtleness, there is a tranquility, there is a moderation. For instance, the Bible says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And so there is to be a tranquility, there is to be an undisturbed, sitting still, peaceableness, not a nervousness, not a busybody, not always having to be um, in, in the front line of the action. God doesn't want us to not be, does not want us to be inactive. Don't misunderstand. But the idea is that there is, this is in my spirit, in the inner man, there is a calm, there is a peace, there's a tranquility. When I thought of this, I thought of Jesus with the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm, right? And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. How can you sleep in a storm that seasoned fishermen in a commercial fishing vessel are so concerned? And they've been in hundreds, probably, of storms on the Sea of Galilee because they came up all the time. And this one, they were scared. And they woke Jesus up and they said, don't you care, we're about to perish. And Jesus stood up and he said to the wind and waves, peace, be still. Now, I don't know how loud Jesus spoke, but I guarantee he didn't have to yell. He is the Lord of all creation. He could have very quietly said, peace, be still. Instantly. It was a calm. But the calm that was, that was reflected in creation showed that tranquility of heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he wants us to reflect in our lives. So a meek and quiet spirit. This word quiet is only used in one other verse. I don't have a whole bunch of verses. All right, there's only one other time in the New Testament when the Greek word quiet is used. Here it is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet. Now, I'm sorry, Christian school teachers and public school teachers, to kind of blow this misapplied phrase, right? Okay, you study to be quiet, <laughs> student. <laughs> Now, certainly they're supposed to be quiet and do things decently and in order. But the word study literally means to be fond of honor. And the idea is to pursue that which is, are eager to emulate, to strive to that which is honorable. So we are pursuing the honor of an eagerness to display and to be tranquil, undisturbed, being able to keep one's seat not panicking, not always having to know everybody's business and what's going on at all times. Not always. You know what, folks? Sometimes Christians are always in a nervous uproar in their soul because there are certain things that are outside of their control or their knowledge. Folks, we can't know and see everything. We don't have all the answers, but guess who does? Our wonderful Savior, who is always in control. God makes no mistakes. We heard it again in the offertory tonight. I say this respectfully, but God never says, uh-oh, oops, Ooh, didn't see that one coming, does he? And that can give us that wonderful tranquility, that inner peace, that settledness. I want to just read you a couple of quotes from some commentators that I highly regard on this passage, on this word, a meek and quiet spirit. I trust it'll be a help to you as it was to me. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, of a calm temper, a contented mind, 
a heart free from passion, pride, envy, and irritability, a soul not subject to the agitations and vexations of those who live for fashion and who seek to be distinguished for external adorning. Another writer said, a meek and quiet spirit, a tractable, easy temper of mind, void of passion, pride, and immoderate anger, discovering itself in a quiet, obliging behavior. And then last, what we are is more important than what we say. Our life is our best sermon. If we would expend as much care on the hidden man of the heart as many do on the outer, what lovely characters would result. Now, I would like to address just for a brief minute the description that was the end of the question, a naturally outgoing person. Now, I have to admit that the way that my mind works, when I read that, and I am not in any way uh, making fun of the person who wrote this, I don't know who wrote this, all right? So please, if you're the one who gave the suggestion, please don't take offense at this, all right? Because this is just the way my poor, tortured mind works, all right? And it's no reflection on you. And please don't let this discourage you from sending in suggestions. But this is just the way my brain works. When I saw the, the, the written out, what does it mean to have a meek and quiet spirit when you're a naturally outgoing person? I thought of the character in Charlie Brown who has naturally curly hair, all right? And I don't know why I thought that, but what is a naturally outgoing person? Because God does gift us with different personalities, does he not? Okay. And the Bible says in Proverbs 18 and verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. We should be friendly and outgoing. But we should not be building our reputations as the life of the party or as being larger than life. Because that steals the attention from our Lord. Our adorning, our attractiveness is not for us. It is to be redirected, reflected back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, one meek and lowly, one who had his power, his infinite power, under perfect control. One who was tranquil. Now that does not mean that there are not times when we're righteously indignant, but it means that our emotions are always under the control of God's Holy Spirit. Let's go back and read verses three and four again, and then we're gonna close in a word of prayer. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. Don't let that be where the emphasis is laid. That's the wrong one. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. Remember, this is men, women, those who are single, those who are married. And that which is not corruptible. You can spend millions of dollars trying to fight the losing battle of aging, right? But you know what? If you emphasize that hidden man of the heart, it is an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. Folks, if God places such high value on a meek and quiet spirit, so should we. Now, folks, as I've been studying this, I really want to say thank you to the person who wrote in this question because I've never really stopped and focused on this phrase before as in-depth on this study and you know, the Lord just showed me, huh, there are some times when I don't have such a meek and quiet spirit. And there are times when God needs to speak to me about this. And so I see there's some growth in my own life. And I praise the Lord for that, that he showed me that. And I trust that the Lord will show you 
where that needs to lie for you. Let the emphasis be on a meek and quiet spirit. That does not mean that God is trying to harness and rein in your personality. If you're outgoing and bubbly and that sort of a thing, that's not what this passage is talking about. But it's talking about put the emphasis where God puts it. Put your value on what God values. The world, as we saw tonight, just from the statistics and what people spend, the world's emphasis is on the outward beauty, and that fades. God's emphasis is on the beautiful ornamentation of a meek and quiet spirit. Let's put our emphasis there. Shall we bow our heads for just a moment? I'd like to give you a chance just to listen to the Spirit of God make application to you in a personal way. Heavenly Father, in a moment we'll stand and sing in closing chorus. We'll dismiss and have some fellowship and trust that we will encourage one another we do pray for the de youngs that you'd supply them another van we thank you that heather henry is home from the hospital and pray that you would help her to continue to make progress in her healing and uh, we pray that you give her a full recovery as far as it is within your will we think of the turners and pray for you to continue to comfort them in the loss of brantley's mom and we just pray for great grace for them and there are so many other needs and as we come alongside to encourage, when there are times when we need to share the gospel with unbelievers, when there are times even when people are belligerent in their opposition, sometimes a brother or sister in Christ that is walking in carnality, and we need to go after them to confront them and, 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 and to uh, be used of you in the process of seeing them restored in fellowship with you. May we do these things with a meek and quiet spirit. May our testimonies reflect your character in this area. And God, as you have put great value, this is a great, a great price to you, this ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. May we take this seriously. May we highly treasure it. And may we purposely pursue it as even the word of God commands us to. Now, Lord, we know that in our own flesh and in our own self-discipline, we cannot accomplish this. We must partner with you and be obedient. We must put forth that effort. But we know that it is a hopeless effort, that it is futile unless you in your supernatural grace empower and enable us to do so, unless you constantly through the Holy Spirit remind us of these biblical truths and help us to apply it. May we be even meek in our response to the ministry of the word when your Holy Spirit confronts us. And we'll be sure to praise you for the work of transformation you continue to do in our lives. We ask these things in the merits and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you'd stand, Pastor Mike will lead us in a dismissing chorus.